As the children are being dismissed, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of James, James chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there, it's page 1011. We're continuing our series through the book of James. Last week I gave a little bit of a review. I won't do that again, but I will simply summarize by saying that this, he has been talking about trials and testings and how trials are tests of our faith. And he has given us kind of the upward slope of how we can endure that. And now as we start in verse 13, we're going to see that sometimes trials can turn into temptations. And how do we handle that and how, do we, how can we recognize that? Let's read the text and then we'll begin. James 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits, of his creatures. Let's pause and ask God's blessing. Father, I do want to pause now. I I have a real sense that you want to teach us through this text, and I pray that I would communicate the text clearly and faithfully, and I pray that your spirit would apply it to all of our hearts and lives this hour. May you be exalted and glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Maybe you've heard of a story that's been in the news recently. A 29-year-old woman, uh, she's married, has a family, and uh, she has terminal brain cancer. And she has scheduled, she has moved out to a state where this is legal, but she has scheduled a uh, medically-assisted suicide uh, to escape this cancer. She, she says it's terminal, it's all I have ahead of me is pain and suffering, and so it is more it is more loving to my family to end my life. Recently, a friend of mine, his cousin, also had terminal brain cancer, but she endured, and she did die. She passed away. She went through pain. She went through suffering. But she had a much different outlook on this very same issue. She said that God has brought me through this for a reason, and my only concern is is that people love God more and not blame God. So we have two stories, very similar. There's a trial. There's a test there. We have completely different reactions and approaches to this very same testing. Why is that? Why is it that two people can go through the same thing and yet they, they, they react in completely different ways? What is the difference? Many times in our trials that we go through, we, we tend to want to blame God. 
We tend to want to take uh, uh, and put responsibility on him in certain ways that, that isn't right. Now, we may not do it directly, but we may do it indirectly with things such as, well, you know, my dad had a temper. My grandfather had a temper. My, my brother has a temper. My dog has a temper. So I have a temper. What are we doing there? We're placing our, our blame someplace else indirectly and and our heritage, God, the family you gave me makes me this way. Remember the first sin recorded in the scriptures? Remember Adam and Eve? And Eve was deceived and she ate the, ate the fruit. And, and then Adam ate the fruit as well. And then what did Adam say to God? He said, well, yeah, the woman that you gave me. There's a placing blame on God. Or maybe we talk about our, our, our surroundings, maybe not just our heritage or, or God, but maybe it's about, it's about you know, our, our surroundings. We say, well, if I was surrounded by more Christians on a day-by-day basis, I would be more strong and I wouldn't speak this way. I wouldn't be uh, uh, so prone to get upset at work. Some people even go as far as to say, well, the devil made me do it. These are all efforts to escape personal responsibility for our actions. So testings are necessary to develop the desired moral maturity and strength in ourselves. But God does not solicit men to evil. God brings testings and trials in our lives or allows them so that we can be strong. But we do have a reaction that we need to to be accountable for. And so we we go back to the the two ladies who struggle with the same same issue, same medical issue, and had two totally different responses. Why, why were they different? Why, why could one person say, I am going to endure this, and I am going to point people to God through this, and then the other person say, I cannot endure this, and seek to escape it in an unbiblical way? Well, we're going to wrestle with that question a little bit as we go through this text here, and so it's a very simple outline this morning. So as you're, as you're taking notes, number one is that God is not the problem. God is not the problem. See, James, what he's done here is he's, he's kind of unfolded this idea of, of how these displaced Christians who were facing persecution should live and how they should look at their trials and they should look at, at the testings of what was going on in their lives. In fact, that's what he told them to do. He said, understand that these are tests of faith and understand that, that this is for your good. This is to build maturity. And so the difficult situation you find yourself in as a believer, because he's writing to the believers here, this is for your good. And, and it may be difficult to see. It may be, it may be hard. It may be painful, but we have to believe in in God. And so what James has already done to us is he's pointed us to the nature of God earlier. In the first few verses here, he's already pointed to the nature of God. He does this again here. And so now he's doing it again and pointing us to the nature of God. And this instructs me. When I'm going through a trial in life, when it's, when it's very difficult for me, when I, when I feel like maybe God is toying with me, i got to go back to the nature of God. I think I've shared this before. My wife and I, we were, uh, we were trying to have children. We were going through adoption attempt after adoption attempt after adoption attempt. They were not working out. We were, we were supposed to adopt two boys from Africa. That didn't work out the very last second. 
We lost money. We lost time. We, I still carry a picture of those two boys in my briefcase. I still pray for them. We were supposed to go get them. We were one, literally one signature away. We had our visas. We had everything. And I remember after that happened, it was a test of my faith. My wife was very strong during that time. I remember telling my wife, Me, I, I just think God doesn't want us to have children. You know, he's toying with us too much here. And my wife said to me, she says, I am not willing to give up on that yet. God has a purpose for this. And so with, you know, some reluctance, I said, okay, you know, we'll continue on. And, and we really, and then after that, God kind of miraculously threw Mia into our lives. But I, I had a test of my faith then. Recently, I've had tests of my faith. I think sometimes as Christians, we, 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 we almost look at that as a real negative thing and say, well, no, my faith is rock solid. It's never been tested. No, we're told in James here, our faith is being tested. And it's a good thing because when you come through that test, you become more mature and stronger and you can help other people. And so th this is God's plan for us here. But there is a time where we can make a choice and we can turn those testings into or those trials into temptations to sin. And one of that is to blame God. One of them is to question his goodness. Because if we question why something is happening to us and we put God on trial for that, we are questioning his nature. And look what James does again in verse 13. He draws our attention to the nature of God. He says, but, uh, uh, excuse me, no one can say that uh, he is tempted. I'm being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He says, it is against God's nature to be tempted with evil. So God's holiness, first of all, makes it impossible for him to tempt us to sin. God's holiness. He, here, James is careful to remind us, God has never been tempted with evil. Think about it this way. Evil has never had an appeal to God. There isn't a single sin that, had, that has an appeal to him. Now, let's think about that for a second because there's a lot of sins that are very appealing to us. In, in the moment of frustration, in the moment of, of anger, the sin of yelling at someone or, or the sin of, of striking someone even or throwing something, that is very appealing in that moment, is it not? God's never experienced that. God cannot be tempted with evil. There's never been a sin that, that God has said, hmm, that would be good. His holiness is such that, that, that it's impossible for him to do it. So James's argument, it's a very logical argument then, is if God has never been tempted by sin or he's never had sin be appealing to him in any shape, way, or form or facet, then how in the world could he tempt you to sin? He can't tempt you to sin in this. He's not bringing this into you for you can sin. There is another reason why we sin in the midst of trials, but it's not God. God is not the problem. His holiness makes it impossible. Secondly, God's graciousness makes it impossible for him to tempt us to sin. We see this in verse 17. He says, every good gift. First of all, in verse 16, he gives, he gives an imperative here. It's in the present tense. So he says, stop being deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. He says, what God gives you, it is good. And it has the idea of what is useful or beneficial. And so the trials that you and I experience or the tests that you and I experience are part of God's gifts, not part of his cursing. 
because they're good. Now, I fully admit, this is difficult. You're driving down the belt line, okay, that, that people, for whatever reason on the belt line, have no idea how to merge, okay? You see it too, I'm saying, thank God, okay? So, so, so you're driving down the belt line, and people cutting in and out of you, and, and, then, and then if you're just keeping your speed, and, and then they, they get behind you and pass you, and they're shaking their fist at you, or sometimes have fingers extended, and they're going past you, and things like At that moment, it's difficult to say, God, this is a good opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I feel my, my faith being strengthened right now. This is awesome. You know, that doesn't happen a lot of times. When you tell your child, okay, very simple request, very simple request. Okay, go do this, and then meltdown happens. God, this is good. That's difficult, right? We all see this, right? But this is where, and, and we're going to get to this in a second, this is where we have to actually coach ourselves through this by meditating on what we know of God. What we know of God has to bring us through these moments, not what we feel in the moment. In God's graciousness, we know that whatever God brings into our lives, it is good. Those scriptures clearly say so right here, that it is good. Everything that comes from God is good. And so it's beneficial. It's useful. It's perfect, it says there. The idea of, of complete there in verse 17, every perfect gift. The idea of mature or lacking in nothing. And this is a, this, this is a hard one. It's the idea of that whatever God, whatever trial God has put into your life in that moment, it is, and this is what perfect means here, it is exactly what you need. How many times have we said, God, I don't need this right now? How many times have we said that? I know I have. I can remember just a few months ago holding my, my baby boy who, by the way, on Wednesday, we're having the finalization of the adoption on Wednesday, so he'll be completely, legally, 100% our son, so we're really happy about that. But I'm holding this, this baby boy, and he is, he is emitting a sound that is piercing my ears, okay? All right, and, and his cry is it, kind of like a mad cry, I don't know if you, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about here. You, you know, you can tell the difference. And so he's crying in, in, in anger. And, and, you know, I'm trying to put the bottle in. And, of course, you know, he's whacking that away and everything. Okay, so, you know, I tried about six times. And then I realized, okay, he probably doesn't want that. <laughs> so that I'm trying to burp. I'm trying to do all these things. And, and it is just going. And just a few months ago, just a couple months ago, I remember looking at him saying, God, I don't need this right now. What have I just done? I've just questioned God's graciousness. I've just questioned his nature. I've just said, God, I know more about what I need than you do. Even though you formed me and you created me and you give me your life and breath step by step, day by day, I know more than you is what I'm saying in that moment. It's kind of the situation of Job. You remember Job? If you ever read through the book of Job, it's one of these, it's a difficult book to read, you know, for on, on many levels. And you know, a lot of things happen to Job in the beginning there. And uh, Job goes through this long time 
of, uh, of, uh, of you know, silence and friends come that aren't too helpful to him and they're blaming him and all those sorts of things and all this bad stuff's happening. And so finally, Job gets to a breaking point and he kind, of, he kind of just snaps a little bit and then God comes into the scene. And then for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, it's just God talking. And basically he's saying, where were you? Where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you when I did this? Where were you? And he's, he's basically saying, no, you do not tell me what is best. Now, the humorous part of you study to Job is then there's a chapter, then Job responds, is like, yeah, I think I get it. And God's like, no, you don't. And so like chapter after chapter after chapter, God goes through and teaches him more and more. And then at the end, in chapter 42, verse 5, Job says, I had heard of the Lord before, but now my eyes see him. He understood the nature of God at that point. That is the reason God's bringing us through these things so we can understand him more. And ironically, or, 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 or that's exactly what we need to get through those trials. So God's graciousness. So we got God's holiness. We have God's graciousness. We have God's immutability makes it impossible for him to tempt us to sin. It says that in, in verse 17 here, it says there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's impossible for God to change. It's, it, it, he is the same person. And so James, he gives this kind of interesting illustration about the unchangeableness or the immutability of God here when he says the father of lights. Now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about the one who is sovereign over all the celestial lights. So he is, he is sovereign over the sun. He is sovereign over all the other stars, uh, out of, over the moon. He is sovereign over everything. Everything that we look up in the sky and we see, God is sovereign. Last night, the teens, we had a bonfire at the, at the Broadheads. And uh, everyone here, I think, by now knows I grew up in the city. I'm a city guy, you know, farming and things like that. I appreciate it. I just don't know anything about it. And the whole, we did do some camping when I was a kid, but that really wasn't a part of, of you know, our everyday uh, or every year traditions growing up. Um, I've been on missions trips where we roughed it and things like that. So I, I, I've had some experience with this, but that's not my idea of a vacation. You know, when I think of vacation, I think of hotel, I think of pool, I think of, you know, things like that. I don't think of tents and, and grounds and, and, you know, eating outside, you know, eating outside. I don't get that. What are we, barbarians? You know, so, it, you know, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. So yesterday, we're at, we're at the activity, and so we have, we're, we're going to, I knew we were going to have hot dogs, and so they have these sticks, and then they have these raw hot dogs there. And so it took me a few minutes, and I realized, oh, hot dog stick fire. Oh, okay, I got this now. <laughs> All right, you know. So I put the stick, I mean, the hot dog on the stick and shove it in the fire, and then I, made, I just casually made the comment, I've never done this before. You would have thought, that I had just said, you know, my mom is from Mars. I, the look of horror on everyone's face, like, we have an idiot for a pastor. <laughs> now, normally I agree with that. But I thought, no, I mean, we have a George Foreman grill for a reason, okay? <laughs> so so, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm roasting my thing and things like that. It's, you know, then the joke went to, you know, uh, I think it was Alyssa in her, 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 her tremendous respect for her pastor, said, have you seen stars? <laughs> and I had, <laughs> in movies. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm looking up there, and, and it's just beautiful, right? You know, and I have seen stars before. I have, I have seen it before. And my mind 
you know, I knew what we, I was going to preach the next day, of course, and my mind couldn't help but go to this passage here as I was looking up at all those stars last night. He's sovereign over every one of those. I mean, he knows everyone by name. And you know what the point that James is making here? He's talking about the power of God, the bigness of God. He's talking about the steadiness and the consistency of God. Because if you were to look up at the sky right now, would you see those stars? No. We're going to see a sun. We see a sun, right? And you go at night, would you see the sun? No. During the day, typically you don't see a bright moon. You can see the moon sometimes, I understand, but it's not a bright light. See, what James is saying here is all these bright lights that just take our breath away and and make us feel so small and so insignificant, all those things change. All those things diminish. Every light that we think of that, that makes us feel so small diminishes every day. God never diminishes. God never changes. He's the father of light. So if God was good 10,000 years ago, guess what? God is good today. When we read in the stories in all the scriptures in there, we see the infallible, or excuse me, the fallible people that God has used throughout scripture and, has, and he's used over there in all their sinfulness and how that we see how God's purposes were made manifest through them. The story of Joseph, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. We look at that and we say, oh man, we can see how God was doing his plan there. That same good God has never changed. And so in your circumstances, when, you're, when your children are difficult, when your job is unbearable, when, when your marriage is, 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 you don't know if it's going to make it, when financial pressure just weighs you down, when you long for things and you're not receiving them, it's a good God that's still in control. And his graciousness and his immutability and, and, and his power, and, and it all, it, it, he is not leading you to sin. God is not the problem here when our trials turn into temptation. God is actually doing very good things for us. Number two, let's find out what is the problem. So if God is not the problem, number two, our heart is the problem. Verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. James has already shown us the upward path, and now he is sharing with us the downward path. And he's saying, okay, here is how, this is how trials turn into temptations. It's not because of God. It's not because of of him losing control or him changing his mind about something or him not being powerful enough. No, the reason why we turn trials into temptations to sin is because of our hearts. Our desire leads us to temptation. There's this idea of, of luring and enticing the, the, what James is telling us here, he says the reason why, the reason why we turn trials into temptations and the reason why we choose to, to react wrongly is, is a desire. There's a desire that has ensnared us and has captivated us. And so we have two people with the same terminal brain cancer and they have two completely different responses to that. Why? Because they have two completely different desires. One desires a life of free of pain, and I understand that. I don't, I don't condemn her for that. I understand that. But the other desires to see God glorified in any way possible. 
which is far more noble than what God has called us to do. And so our desires is what lead us in temptation. Not all desire is evil, I understand that. But often our desires that, that lead us into temptation is because they're misplaced desires or they're, they're things that, that we, we cannot have in this moment or they're not for us to have, but yet we still desire them. And so there's this idea of luring and enticing. Now, I wanted to, know, I wanted to make sure you noticed here that when James is instructing us and telling us why we sin in trials when they turn into temptations, there's a very obvious absence of any mention of Satan here. He doesn't say, well, because Satan is warring against you and Satan is doing this. He doesn't have any external influences here. He doesn't say, well, because of the circumstances you're in. He says, no, your heart. Your desires are wrong. You're putting too much emphasis on peace. Can I just have absence of chaos for a minute? Maybe we need to be strengthened through chaos. It's difficult. I understand it's difficult. And so we have some desires. Now, a lot of times our desires, they're not, they're not evil things. But maybe our desire is you know, sleeping in and not reading our Bibles hitting the snooze and wait until the very last second so then we don't have time to, to, to read the Scriptures in the morning. Desire for rest. I've had a long night. I get that. I'm not saying it's necessarily sinful if you don't read your Bible in the morning, but you understand the point. The point is that we're, we're putting a desire ahead of something that would be beneficial to us or, or maybe dealing with a problem. Maybe there's conflict with, with children, with people at work or something like that, and you know you should deal with it. You know you should talk about it. But the desire of, I want to be free from conflict, rules that, and you don't deal with the issue. That's a desire that when it takes a trial, which is a test of your faith, which you could have trusted God, and said, okay, God, we want to strive for unity here, and I want to, I want to minister the gospel to this person here. There was an opportunity there. But the desire of, I don't want conflict, has ruled then, and has continued a relationship that is broken and will be destructive. You see, a lot of times we, we think of evil desires as something like really big and everything like that, but it's, it's not. It, it's, it's these everyday situations. Maybe it's not willing to have a difficult conversation with love and grace. We avoid conflict at all costs, and we need to be loving and be willing to talk with one another. So our desires lead us to temptations. The text goes on and says that temptations then, letter B, leads us to sin. And so it says that it gives birth to sin. He gives the analogy of a, of, of a woman in labor who, who, when this has happened now, the result of this, the product of this is sin in our lives. And so when we give in to temptation, we give in to this idea because our desire has ruled the moment and we have we've desired something more than what we should be desiring and, and, and we've allowed that, we, we've, 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 allowed, we've tried to take the shortcut from what God has intended for us, we go down the path that is actually sinful. So this is the pattern that James has given us. Again, he's not saying this is the devil's fault. He's not saying this is your spouse's fault or your children's fault or your co-worker's fault or your boss's fault. It's our heart. This is the problem here. And of course, sin leads to death. Sin leads to death in a way that is, is destructive. It, it destroys relationships. It destroys contentment and peace. It destroys all these things. 
So I put a graph on the screen. I just wanted you to see this here of, of these, these different paths. Okay, so we have two options here. You see it on the screen there. We have trials and tests. And so earlier in the text, in verses 2 through, through 8, we've, we've already said how, how James outlines what the intention is. And the intention is that is, it's that as we go through a trial, there's steadfastness that is a result of that, which then results in maturity, which results in life. And we saw that in verse 12, it culminated in that. It said that for he, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And so this is the path that God wants us to go. He wants us to go trials, and, and he brings those into our lives. And so then that's a test of our faith, which builds us into uh, endurance or steadfastness, maturity in life. But now what he's done here is he's shown us the downward spiral, or downward steps. And this is where desires and temptations come in. And then there's sinful action, which leads to death. Now, what, what's the difference here? Well, I think, I think we have the difference of one is what are we going to focus on in the, in the first place? We're going to focus on the nature of God. You see, when we're ruled by the nature of God, this is the reason why James has twice in this text has drawn our minds back to thinking about God and what we know about God. This is the key. So if you want to take the upward path on this, this is what we must do. So when there's a trial or a temptation, or excuse me, a test that comes into your life, instead of going the downward spot or the downward steps there, what we do is we, we focus our minds on what we know of God and, and, and allow that to draw us through that. So what we, what, what we say is, okay, God, I don't understand this. This is difficult. I don't understand why we're facing bankruptcy. I don't understand all this. You know, medical bills have piled up. This has not been bad stewardship on our part. We, we don't understand all this, but I know you're good. I know you will never leave me or forsake me. I know you're gracious. I know you're unchangeable. And because of what I know you, I will trust in you and I will have my faith strengthened in you. That's the difference there. And this is what the the path that God wants us to go along. And this is the path that he draws his people to. But the opposite is when we're ruled by man's nature or our own heart. When we're ruled by our own desires, this is when it becomes temptations. This is when we say God's not fair. We're questioning God's justice. He's not, he's not wise. We start questioning these things, and that leads to sinful actions, and which leads to death. And so the, the key is, whose nature are you going to listen to? Whose nature are you going to allow to rule your soul? God's nature or your own. Now, if you're a believer, God is working and bringing, here's the, here's the cool thing, God is using the trials there to strengthen your faith so you don't, so you're not ruled by your own nature. He's saving you from this deathly, destructive, downward steps. We've got to, we've got to go back to the nature of God. Now, as, as believers, I believe, our, 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 I believe we're, our, our, our state is eternally secure. But we can still, as believers, go down these sinful actions and we can experience, you know, maybe not eternal death, but we can definitely experience death of relationships and death of, of joy and peace and harmony. And so this is the problem. The problem is not God. The problem is our heart. So last week we looked at verse 12. And according to verse 12, there's a way to ensure that we do not let trials turn into temptations. We need to make the right choices in the moment of trial and temptation and endure. This is what verse 12 and, and the previous verses have been talking about. We've been talking about the last several weeks. We need to do this knowing that God has promised the crown of life like we talked about last week. 
So this means that we make our decisions out of love for him, holding on through thick and thin for love's sake. We saw that again in verse 12 last week. It's, he's promised to those who love him. There's the key. But the bad news is what I've revealed this morning, that according to verse 14, this is really impossible for us because of our nature. Our heart that is bent towards selfishness, sin, and death. So how are we to move forward in life when the whole thrust and pull of our nature is to sin and death? How are we to love and keep loving God when our hearts are springs of death-bearing wishes? This is why verses 17 and 18 is so important. Number three, God is not the problem, but he is the answer. God is not the problem, but he is the answer. He says, stop being deceived, my beloved brothers, in verse 16. He's saying, don't be deceived by, by these temptations, by these desires. Don't be deceived that that will bring you happiness. And so what he says, letter A, we must not be deceived into thinking that there is any other answer to our problem but God. The only answer is God because then he brings, us, that he brings the conversation right in verse 17. After telling us not to be deceived, he brings us right back to the nature of God. Right back to understanding God. Right back to what we know of God. And what we believe about God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. The only answer we have here is God. Letter B, we must understand that God desires for us to rise above temptation and sin. This is his desire for us. Look at verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is God's plan. It's, it was his will that does. It's not like we went to God and we said, hey, God, would you save us from this deathly downward spiral? And God said, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do that for you. No, James is very clear. He says, no, it was of his will that he did this. It was of his will that he brought us into new life. And that, and that word there, by the way, brought is the same word as birth in verse 15. It's the same. It's like a new birth that we've had. It's, 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 it's the, it was of his will that we were born again. He wants to give us a new heart here. James 31, excuse me, Jeremiah 31, 33 says this. For this is the covenant that I will make to the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We understand this to be the passage that talks about the new covenant. That when we're in Christ, we're experiencing the benefits of the new covenant. We have a new heart. As one person says, that we are given a heart that is tailor-made for obedience. I love that. The new heart that God has given to us is, is made for obedience. He's changed that. Now, we still struggle with our nature and we can still choose sin. But God has, has given us what we need for all of life and godliness, according to 1 Peter. Through his word and what we know about God. And he keeps going back to it, it's what we know about God. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this. 2 Corinthians 4.6, I think I put it on the screen. For God who said, let there be Light, or let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Maybe I didn't put it on the screen. Sorry about that. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, if you're taking notes, write that down. For God who said, I'll read it again, let, let light shine out of darkness. So the God who said, light should shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give life to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying there is he's saying the God who when there was no light, when there was utter darkness, and he just said, let there be light, boom, and there was light, that same God 
says, I'm going to give you a new heart. If he can just say, out of darkness, boom, light, can he not give you a new heart? Can he not give you the strength to endure the trial that you're in right now? This is what James is encouraging us with. So the God who said, let there be light, he has also said, let there be life. 1 Peter 1, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. See, what James is telling us here is that our hope is found in the word of God. In verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And so First Peter, Peter says the same thing. We have been brought forth, we've been born again through the word of God. And this is why the word of God is so important. This is why you need to know the word of God. This is why you need to study the word of God because in times of trial, your mind is going to go to something. So, so when, you're, when, you're, when you're struggling, when you're having difficulty, your mind is going to go to some source of authority at that moment to get you through that. What authority are you going to? Too many times it's the authority of my feeling and my heart, my desires. And that's what James says leads to death. But what James is saying is, no, your faith in God, what you believe about God, what you know about God, that is what needs to draw you and get you through those trials and through those difficult times and difficult situations. So this is why the Word of God is so important. This is why here at our church, our desire is to simply open the Word of God and teach it. Simply open the Word of God and give it. Because the greatest thing that we can do as spiritual leaders here is teach the Scriptures. That's the greatest thing we can do for you. Because that is what's going to shape your mind and help you through trials and temptations. Excuse me, uh, letter C. We must believe that God's Word is what we need. We must believe that God's Word is what we need. So Ephesians 1.13 in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, same expression used here in James. Colossians 1.5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. For it is in God's word that we know God. This is why it's so important. This is why the preaching of God's word is so important. This is the reason why we come to church and we learn about God. Because what we know about God needs to change our actions. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there are far too many Christians in this church and in other churches that know a lot about God. But that knowledge of God isn't affecting their actions. They know details about God, and I could tell you, we could give a quiz and say, okay, tell me the attributes of God, and you can start listing them, people start listing them, and everything. But then when we're in a trying situation, all that knowledge is forgotten, or it's not put into practical use. You see, we don't teach the Scriptures, you don't read the Scriptures so you can just know a lot about God. You read the Scriptures and you know about God so that it can affect your everyday life. What you know of God has to shape your actions. This is what James is telling us to do. He says, you don't want to sin in temptation or human trials. You don't, want to, you, you don't want to go the downward spiral. Act on your knowledge of God, not on your knowledge of your feelings or what you desire. This is what he's saying here. For it's in God's word that we find eternal life. 
Through the preaching of Christ and the word, God draws people to himself. Like one author that I was reading said this, he said, quote, this is the kindness, I think I put it on the screen, this is the kindness and excellence of God. As the gospel wins the heart of sinners, they freely choose the new life that he has already willed for them. I like that. Because he says he willed it for us. And so as believers, as we choose and we make right choices, we understand that those are our, our actions, those are decisions that we need to make. But then we realize when we look back at it that God is the one that's doing that in our lives. And he's given us the ability to do that. You know, um, several years ago, there was a pastor in the Philadelphia area. You may recognize his name. Some of you may recognize his name. His name was Donald Gray Barnhouse, the pastor in the, in the Philadelphia area, like I said. One time during his uh, radio broadcast, he was speculating on uh, what it would look like if Satan took over the city of Philadelphia. And he said this, if Satan took over the city of Philadelphia, I think all the bars would be closed. I think pornography would be, would be banished. Pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There'd be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ was not you see, we can have a lot of knowledge about spiritual things, and we can have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and head knowledge, but it will not. But then we can live in a way that is completely, completely divorced from that knowledge. So, so think about, it. think about how you live life. Think about the, the 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 things you read in God's Word, or if you read God's Word, or think the things that you hear from this pulpit week after week, and and, and in this church and different teaching things like that. How does that affect every day? There's the connection that we need to make, that, that, that what we know of God, what we believe about God, has to rule our decisions in response to these things. And as we do that, then God gives us stronger faith, more maturity, and the crown of life. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I am looking forward to Jesus' coming back. I was just talking to a couple of people right before the service. We are looking forward to Jesus coming back. We want him to come back today. But we don't know when he's coming back. But I know he's good. I know he's perfect. I know he will do what is right. And so I know my faith needs to be strengthened. And so in the process, in the, in the, while I'm waiting for Jesus to return, I'm going to ask him to strengthen my faith. The God who is redeeming creation is a gracious God. God is, this, this gracious God is not one who's trying to lead people to fall, but is one who is, who is using all of his gifts, and those include trials, to draw us closer to him and strengthen us through tests. So, instead of saying, why me? We should pray for God's perspective and ask him to strengthen our faith in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. In doing so, trials will remain tests for good and not morph into temptations for evil. Let's take our theology and what we know of God. And let it rule our hearts and our heart's desires every day. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would be people who are strengthened through trials and our, our faith as it's tested would be, be made more mature. And I do pray that you would um, you'd be merciful to us, you would guide us,
Lord, teach us more of you. Help us, help us to fully appreciate that you don't change. Help us to fully appreciate that you are sovereign and that you're gracious and that you're holy. Help us to fully appreciate those things about you. Because when we do so, it will build our trust in you, in our actions, in our responses. Our everyday responses would be more in line with what you intend for us. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.